0: Powered by the number one REMAX real estate company in the world, Gold Nation, the Juggernaut podcast is dedicated to helping real estate professionals and beyond become an unstoppable force, a Juggernaut. We believe when the real estate professional thrives, everybody wins. Release the third Wednesday of every month. Each episode will leave you inspired, energized, and ready to be unstoppable. Want to learn more about the Juggernaut Podcast? Go to www.juggernautpodcast.com. Here's your hosts, Stephanie Flood and Anthony James.
1: Well, hello, Gold Nation. This is Stephanie Flood, and I'm joined here with my co host, Anthony James. Anthony, say hello to Gold Nation.
2: Hello, Gold Nation. Here we are again, back in action on the Juggernaut Podcast. Excited for our conversation today, Stephanie.
1: Our conversation today is gonna fill in the gaps for Gold Nation. We have talked about our health, our mental health, all of these types of physical and emotional fitness. Super important. But you know what we haven't quite gotten to yet? How about that financial fitness? As business people in the real estate space, we know that we look at the world a little differently. Finances for realtors, not quite the same as your average W-2 employee. So today we have a guest who is going to help us through that and who is the expert and is gonna help us learn about financial fitness and driving profitability in 2021. So today we have Robert Gonzalez. He is the COO and co-founder of mybooks.pro which provides profitability and bookkeeping services for real estate agents, entrepreneurs, and investors. He has been growing people and businesses personally, professionally, and financially for over 15 years. He started his journey as a sales rep in 2005, was quickly promoted into management, and by 2009, he was running an entire sales organization in Northern California, no less, where he was not only responsible for training, but also the profitability of the business. His knowledge and skill set in profitability grew rapidly. He was running payroll, doing bookkeeping, and analyzing reports for the business. I want to introduce you to Robert Gonzalez. Robert, say hello to Gold Nation.
3: Hey, Gold Nation. I'm happy to be here. Thanks, everybody, for having me.
1: We are honored to have you here today and excited to learn about this topic and fill in some of the gaps that we've left in our agent's financial health So to get started, your company works with hundreds of real estate agents across the country. What is the biggest challenge and the most common mistake you find agents facing with their finances?
3: Stephanie, that's a great question. And I would say that this isn't just a real estate agent-specific challenge. I think it's any challenge of an entrepreneur in that we enter into entrepreneurship with a very... Big energy into a certain skill. And for real estate agents, that's, you know, closing deals, selling houses, um, or helping a buyer purchase a house. And you eventually get really good at that. But what a lot of entrepreneurs, including real estate agents, don't realize is that there's a lot more to running your own business than just being good at the customer facing activities. Uh, there's understanding when money comes in, there's also money going out. How much money is the business truly making? Um, you know, how much do I need to pay myself? How do I save for taxes? All these different questions that are associated with the numbers of the business that, when we enter as entrepreneurs, we don't ever realize that that's ever going to have to, you know, come to fruition in our business. Um, it, it's, especially if you come from a W two job where all of that was done for you, the taxes were taken out of your paycheck you got the same amount every week. So it was really easy to budget with variable income. This is just something that slips through our mind. And then with an entrepreneur mindset, our goal is to make more sales and generate more income. It isn't to, Oh, Hey, my objective this week is to manage my finances. That's something that never comes across the entrepreneur's desk. It's like, Hey, how do we generate more business? And so then it's that, you know, constantly growing weight on our shoulders that when April 15th comes, it's really heavy and we just don't want to deal with it. And then October 15th comes because we filed an extension and the weight just becomes heavier. Um, So that's the the biggest challenge that we just don't think about it as entrepreneurs. And I say we, because I'm included. I've, I've been an entrepreneur my entire life and I had to realize this when I ran a sales organization, it wasn't just about generating sales. Like I had to pay people, I had to run payroll and then I had to understand how much my business made, so I could figure out how much I had to pay in taxes. Now, I'm kind of the weird one that I took it upon myself to figure it out and, and learn it. And that's why my company does what it does today. But that doesn't mean that's what every entrepreneur should do. And that's why our, our service exists, which I'm sure we'll talk about later. But to answer your your main question, the biggest challenge is that we just don't ever have time or we don't have the desire to deal with the back end of a thriving business.
2: Yeah Robert it's it's painful for me how accurate and true everything you just said was uh, I can reflect back to my early years in the business where I was wearing all the hats right I was the guy you know doing the Legion making the calls giving the presentation signing the agreement servicing the listing marketing the, the listing uh, then I get the check and I just would cash the check and spend the money as fast as I would <laughs> make it right and uh, I didn't have the time or even really the the wherewithal and the know-how uh, to really grab a whole Of my finances. So I think you really hit the nail on the head there. And I think for me, it was kind of an eerie reminder of how painful that can be at times when we're trying to juggle and manage all of the different things that a real estate agent does. A busy, productive real estate agent is wearing many different hats.
3: Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, just to go a little bit further and give you a a scenario that is very common in the real estate industry is, you know, a realtor makes a sale. And let's say they get this fifteen, twenty thousand dollar commission check, it's so easy to want to brag to our colleagues and our friends, like, oh yeah, I just made twenty grand on the sale of XYZ property. And what they're not realizing is they may have received twenty grand, but then there's taxes that need to be paid on that twenty grand. And then they also spent four grand in all these different marketing and staging and photography expenses. So now that twenty grand commission is realistically, it's like ten or eleven grand in true business profit. Even though they created twenty grand in revenue, so then the trickle down effect from that is they spend with twenty thousand dollar eyes with a ten thousand dollar budget, mm. and then the, the unfortunately the biggest pitfall that we see in commission based businesses on people's personal budget side is they have nothing left to show for a two hundred and fifty thousand dollar ten ninety nine at the end of the year because they just didn't know where all the money went or they spent with bigger eyes than their actual budget was supposed to give them.
2: Right. And so I want to counterbalance this part of the conversation, Robert, and look at the other side of the coin. In your expertise and from your vantage point of working with you know hundreds of real estate agents all across the nation, uh, what are some of the best financial habits you are seeing agents uh, execute on a consistent basis to stay financially fit? Are there one or two habits that you find most financially fit agents are executing uh, with on a consistent basis?
3: Sure. Yeah, I mean, the, the easy one to toot my own horn is they, they get help, right? They get outside <laughs> help when the, once they've started making a certain amount of money. Um, but no, the, in terms of the true habit, the ones that are disciplined that when they do get paid, they transfer most of them, the the super, super savvy ones are transferring like 50% of that commission deposit right away into a savings account. And part of that savings account is allocated for taxes. And part of it is allocated for the month where they don't get a commission, like the rainy day side of the business. That's the biggest thing that they can do is just get disciplined. That way, if a $20,000 check comes in, they're not living off 20, they're living off 10. Right. And it's, it's the principle of living at half. And it's a, it's a principle we teach a lot of commissioned jobs is try to live at half because that's truly what you probably have. And Hey, if you have bonus left over at the end of the year, there's your bonus, right? So that's probably the biggest financial habit that they can do is, is just get in the habit of transferring. And on that note, the most common follow up question we get when we tell someone that is they say, well, can I just set up an auto transfer? Like have my bank do it. And I say, you can, and that's great, but you didn't, establish a habit, right? You didn't go into your bank account and make it a, a point to see the deposit come in and then move half away, right? The physical, and I don't know how physical it is, pointing a mouse and clicking, but the, just the act of doing that, you created that habit and then you saw the money move. And so now it becomes a pain point if you have to move the money back to try to afford something. And I hope that makes
1: sense. It, it totally does because that's something that I kept thinking about knowing that we were going to get to talk to you today was this whole concept of savings. Savings is like knowing that we're supposed to drink water or exercise, but saying, you know, I'm going to start that tomorrow. I'm, I'm going to do that on the next check. What What's a good way that an agent can start to build that savings habit? Because we know that's not something that happens overnight. It takes time to build a healthy habit like that.
3: Man, this is a really tough subject because – saving and money habits and financial freedom was never taught in school and it still isn't taught in school even if you go to college and your degree is in accounting they don't tell you you know this is how to save you have to learn budgeting on your their own, your own and there's just a zillion books out there that you can read um but at the end of the day it just takes time like you have to learn this just like you were learning math you started with addition and subtraction then it escalated to like multiplying and dividing and eventually hopefully you got to some kind of calculus pre-calculus geometry all this different stuff financials is the same thing you have to there's a learning curve you you have to make sure you give yourself some grace when you make mistakes because they're bound to happen right let's say you get that next commission check and you you say okay we're gonna do it we got a 20k commission check i'm gonna put half away and see if we can live at 10 well, that 10 K is gone quickly. And now you're forced to the decision. Do I pull it out of the savings? And maybe you have to, but before you would have just spent the whole 20 K. Now you're only pulling two K out of the savings to try to survive. So give yourself some grace that you, that you won. Yeah. You didn't want to pull out anything of the 10, but you did. And at least it was only two. So getting in that understanding that this is like a learning class. It's like a course that you're taking over the course of time and just getting better at it. And that might lead into something that we talk about with a lot of clients, which is goals versus targets. I mean, what, a couple months ago, we just started talking about new year's resolutions and people set goals and there's plenty of people that set financial goals and, you know, they always make aggressive numbers, especially when they know they have the opportunity to make a lot of money they say something like, I'm going to save 50K, but then they don't put a plan together. So I, I don't like the word goals. I'm a big believer in targets because you can aim and miss, but still progress forward. Um, and so targets, let's say you had the target of saving 50K this year and you divided that up and said, okay, that means I need to save $1,000 a week. Well, you just created what I like to call a milestone for yourself is how do I save my first thousand? And maybe it comes after four weeks. So even though you wouldn't be on pace for your goal, you at least knocked a milestone down. And now your objective is instead of taking another four weeks to save the next thousand dollars, maybe try to do this one in like three weeks or three and a half. And then once you get to that, you try to get better. And it almost becomes like a game that you play with yourself, which is a lot more fun than trying to hit some big hairy goal where you keep looking at the end result. At least with milestones, you can just try to get better each time, and then eventually you'll hit your target. Maybe you don't hit that target by the end of the year, but you get a lot closer than if you would have set that goal. Um, And that's something that we preach a lot over and over and over is hit the next milestone, hit the next milestone so that you can eventually get to that target of 50K.
1: That sounds so much easier, just breaking that up like that. So you keep mentioning this this ugly kind of scary word, this budget word, and I'm curious kind of how you look at budgeting and what your advice would be to a real estate agent to budget or not to budget, or how to look at planning for their expenses for a given month or year.
3: So budget is an interesting word, and it is scary, mainly because if I was in the scenario where my money was out of control, not knowing where a lot of it went or just feeling like I didn't have anything to show for the amount that I was working and the amount that I was earning. For me, growing up, the word budget meant, let's figure out how to lower expenses. I'm gonna break down everything that I spend and then we're gonna look at the categories and we're gonna see if we can break it down and spend less. Well, that's great if you're on a fixed income, but I believe that everyone I'm talking to in Bold Nation, they're not on a fixed income. If I told you your job was gone in the next week, if you didn't close a house, or if you didn't close a listing in the next week, I'm pretty sure everyone listening would find a way to close a house. All I'm getting at is that there are only two ways to grow the gap. And the gap is the amount of money between how much you earn and how much you spend. So the two ways are spend less or create more income, AKA sell more. Now, I have a question for gold nation and that's, what do you think you're better at? Do you think you're better at spending less or do you think you're better at selling more? And hopefully everyone just answered Well, I'm way better at selling more because that's what I'm paid to do. So while you grow that gap, how can you advance your budget in a way that you get excited about? Well, the way that my wife and I, we do our budget is we spend whatever we spend. And we know that because of what we make, those will be covered. But we have this little secret. And our secret is two things. One, we value saving and we value contributions more than anything else in our budget. So before any other expenses are paid, we make sure that we contribute 25% of our salary and 25% of our salary gets saved, whether that's towards a 401k, a Roth IRA, it goes into an investment property, whatever it is. That's our first objective. The next thing is, is we feel like we have good habits when it comes to spending. And this one you might want to listen really closely to. When we're about to spend money, our rule is, if it's over $100, first we ask ourselves the question, did we earn the right to spend this money? So is savings taken care of for the month? Is our contribution taken care of for the month? And if it is, then the next question is, What would my spouse say? Now, I know that not everybody on this or listening to this is married or they have a partner. But when I think to myself, what would my partner say about this transaction I'm about to spend money on? And if I get a weird feeling in my gut, I just, I pull back and I just don't spend. So the two secrets there were our contribution and our savings are taken care of. Most important thing. And then when we're about to spend money, if it's over a hundred bucks, we have these rules we follow. And the funny thing is, is if you looked at our budget for the last two years, every single month, the amount we spend is within five to 10% of every other month in that sample size. Can I tell you how that happens? I, I don't really know how that happens because it's not like we plan to eat out X amount of times a month. It's just like, Hey, I'm feeling like sushi. Let's get sushi or Hey, let's go on a trip this week. Great. Now, do we do that every single week where we go on a trip every single week or we're eating out every single day? No, again, we're using discretion because I feel like our habit internally, uh, we just put savings and contribution first. So we know that that's the number one. And hey, if there's an increase in income, then we have a different kind of talk where it's like, hey, I'm starting to make more money, a significant amount more. Where do we want to put this money? Is it time to start putting even more aside towards savings towards something bigger and keeping our budget the same. Now we have a kid on the way, which I'm sure will increase the budget, which means it's just time to make more money. And hopefully that's how everyone on this call treats new expenses, especially ones that you can't really avoid. We can't avoid paying for a baby, right? So I'm just going to decide it's time to make more money. And that's how we're going to cover this new budget that's going to go up I don't know, a thousand, two thousand dollars a month.
2: Robert, you can't see me laughing right now, but as you're speaking about the the dynamics of having a baby and how that adds an expense, I play this game called Cash Flow by Robert Kiyosaki, and there's literally an expense item uh, expense line item for having a baby. And if you land on having a baby you have to add like X amount of dollars. So it's a real thing, man. Not just because of the game, but you know, we have kids. I well. love that game. I
3: love that game. And I love that you brought up Robert Kiyosaki. Cause I'll add a really quick thing about him. I listened to him on an interview a couple months ago and he talks about Dave Ramsey. And I'm sure everyone here, when you hear the word money, you've heard about Dave Ramsey and Dave Ramsey's system is simple. It's eliminate debt and understand your budget. But the thing is, is that's great for everyone that's not on this call. That's great for everyone that has a fixed income. It's not that Dave Ramsey is bad, right? But as real estate, in the game of real estate, you understand how to leverage interest. You how to, you learn how to leverage assets. And that's not something that, that Dave Ramsey would ever talk about. Whereas Robert Kiyosaki says, hey, the way that I view money is geared towards people who, who can increase their income at the drop of a dime, right? It's how to leverage assets how to understand budgeting at a new level. So I love that you brought up him and I love that you brought up his game because his game is awesome because you're spot on with that. that. That game will change you if you haven't played it.
2: Yeah. And, you know, it's funny that you bring up Dave Ramsey, because I was going to talk very quickly about, you know, Dave's program and his philosophy. You know, he's got the seven baby steps. And I actually went through that, you know, back in, I don't know, 2007, 2008, you know, is the middle of the recession. I got hit financially hard. And he's really like one extreme side of the of the spectrum, right? I mean, as far as putting together your budget in cash envelope systems, but that actually goes back to the point that you were t- making earlier around seeing the money move. And so that actually created some really good habits and really good disciplines. Now, we don't you know, operate our lives in cash envelopes today. Uh, however, it was a very important step in creating the habit, the routine, and the discipline in our finances. Uh, and that came from Dave Ramsey. And again, that's like one side of the spectrum. And you kind of just highlighted the other side with Robert Kiyosaki on, on the other end.
3: Yeah, Absolutely. And I did the same exact thing with the envelope system. And again, it creates financial discipline. And I think that's the important thing to take away from that. Dave Ramsey's programs aren't bad. They, they definitely have objectives. And that objective is if you have no control over your spending, and a good way to know about that is you're the person with the new iPhone all the time, but then extends their taxes. Mm-hmm. So if that's you, your financial habits aren't great which means you just don't have them prioritized. It doesn't mean you're a terrible person. It just means you haven't learned and implemented those right kind of disciplines that just encourage smart spending or encourage saving first or encourage contribution and creating really financial significance.
2: Robert what I'd really like to shift and focus on now is is really understanding the why and the driving force because we talked about again you know setting goals or targets rather and coming up with the plan and the budget but I think it's important for us to understand you know the motivating factors behind why we would set those targets in the first place so can you kind of share with the audience your thoughts on the importance of that dynamic
3: Yeah absolutely so why is something that we incorporate in all different aspects of our life and business, especially as entrepreneurs. If you set a target or a goal, then you usually go after it harder if you have a driving force of why finances are the same thing, right? It's not like, Hey, I want to save 50 grand just for the heck of saving 50 grand. I want to save 50 grand because it's going to create, uh, enough, financial flexibility for us to buy our next property or buy our first property and create a home where we're creating an asset rather than paying someone else's mortgage, right? Or I wanna have fifty thousand bucks or even twenty five thousand or twenty K, something that you've never saved before, just so I can prove to myself that I don't need to spend money to be happy. Because at the end of the year, when you spend money and you've spent it all and you have nothing to show for it, it's kind of troubling. And getting that weight lifted off your shoulders, I think, is a really big why that a lot of people start with is, I want to have something to show for all my hard work. I don't want to just have all these things. I want to have financial significance that I can leave a legacy, right? Now we're going kind of deep with the why. But if you're serious about things, I was always taught for every $1,000 that you want to save, come up with a reason why that's important for you. And all you're doing is you're investing yourself in that mission, in that target, and in those milestones of accomplishment. So it's a challenging list, right? Trying to come up with 50 reasons why you want to save 50 grand. But I bet you if you can get to 50, you're going to make that visualization a lot more tangible by putting a driving force of why behind it.
1: Yeah, I'm seeing those envelopes with cash in them with a goal or a target or reason why on each one. It would make it a lot easier to pull that money out of the bank each month and put it in that envelope and seal it if you had a a really significant reason on there, like the down payment on the next car or the college down payment for your child that's about to be born. That seems like that would make it really visual and easy, right?
3: Absolutely. Absolutely. And I love that you brought up the college fund thing, um, because that's a that's a vehicle that not a lot of people realize, is that you can start contributing to your kid's child fund as soon as they have a social security number, it grows tax-free. And I plan on doing that, but I plan on not telling my daughter that she has one of those. Because I, I was the guy that my parents didn't help with college. I paid my way through college by, by being a sales rep when I was 18 years old. And I graduated with only five thousand dollars in student debt because I worked my tail off. I would love for that to be my kid as well. Like I, I fully am going to expect that she can pay for college on her own. And then there's kind of this reserve fund that I'll tell her about when it's when it's come time for that. So I love that you brought up the uh, the children's fund or the children's college fund.
1: Yeah, that that would definitely be a fun goal to target and something meaningful. Um, I want to shift a little bit here. I know that you have these four stages of financial freedom. And it's funny because I think we've touched on some of the things that fit into each of the areas and each of the stages that you have. But could you tell our audience a little bit about those stages and what each of those mean um, so that they can kind of fill in the blanks with some of the other stuff we've talked about and see what stage they might be at in their financial health?
3: Absolutely. Absolutely. I love talking about these four stages. They're the four F's. The first one is survival, and that's where you may not have a bill paid because you had to pay a more important bill or you felt like, oh, I can get behind one month on this one and they won't shut my power off just yet. Um, That's just survival. You're you're just trying to survive. And moving out of survival is really funny because it's almost like your transition from being an 18-year-old on your own to like being 20 and realizing the start of what adulting is when it comes to finances. So the second phase is stability. And that just means the bills are paid on time. And maybe, just maybe you start to understand, I got to put a little money aside. Even if it's like, if I could give the best advice to a 21-year-old, it would be contribute to a Roth IRA when you're 21. You have no idea the power of compounding interest. And in that stability phase, once they have all their bills paid, if they could start contributing to a Roth IRA when they were young, or even if you're in that phase right now and you want to contribute to a Roth IRA, that's the best thing that you can do to, strive to try to get from the phase of stability to the phase of success. And I think this is where a lot of entrepreneurs land is somewhere between stability and success because success means you're starting to build up cash reserves and you start to have things to show for your hard work, like a car or like a house or not a lot of debt, right? And when I say not a lot of debt, I'm talking about bad high interest debt, like, you know, credit card balances, things like that. You start to eliminate things like that. Um, and I think the American dream is typically defined at this stage three or this phase three of success, because it means you have something to show for your hard work when in terms of tangible items like a house or a car. But what I think a lot of people miss is phase four, which is financial significance. And this is what does your legacy look like when you're gone, right? What kind of contribution have you put forth? And I talk about contribution a lot because my business partner, is a huge believer in contribution. He may not be able to contribute as much in terms of time, like volunteering organizations. But he has told me from day one of working with him, he believes that if you give a company a hundred thousand, or if you give a, a charitable organization a hundred thousand dollars or a hundred hours, that hundred thousand dollars is going to go a lot further than a hundred volunteer hours, because nonprofits need all the money they can get to further their great cause. Um, and that's a big piece of financial significance. It's also growing cash reserves and growing assets. Um, you will hear a lot of millionaires talk about the hardest million is the first million. And it is because when you buy your house, it's understanding that you now have equity in a house and how to leverage that equity and leverage your income and grow your asset classes. Um, financial significance is very desirable and it puts you in like the top 5% of income earners in the United States. Um, because you're earning a lot more than you spend and you're being smart with that gap. You're putting it towards savings. You're putting it towards contribution. You're putting it it towards kids' college funds. You're putting it towards your retirement accounts, right? All these different things where you start to feel very secure. And when you look at your financial portfolio, it just feels of a sense of relief instead of a sense of anxiousness. And that's what significance is. Versus success, success, yeah, you've got stuff to show for it but when you look at what your life would be like when you're gone is it still feel great and that's what the difference between success and significance is
2: yeah robert i'd like to spend a little more time in this financial significance portion of the you know four stages of financial freedom because i think many of us most of us probably strive, right, to get to that fourth stage of financial freedom as you have laid it out, which is, again, financial significance. So when you look at that particular stage and you speak with millionaire real estate agents across the country, you know, what are they doing differently? I mean, are they just making more money or is there some sort of financial secret to their financial status of being a millionaire real estate agent?
3: Yeah, uh, there's two things. Yeah, they definitely earn more. And I think they earn more because their focus on their business is so laser focused. Um, I learned early on, but maybe didn't implement early on, short celebrations on to the next. And it's perfect that we're talking right now because Tom Brady just won his seventh Super Bowl. And he partied for a day. And hopefully everybody saw the Tom Brady drunk on a boat video by now. But as soon as that happened, he said, all right, I'm not drinking until we win another one. And he was back to work. The guy's 43, going to be 44 years old. And he learned short celebrations and then back to work because no one remembers the heroes of yesterday. And he's just like, Hey, I've got to always continue to be the current great. And that's what top real estate agents do. They earn more money, but they also don't spend like they earn a ton of money. And I've learned this from countless people that, you would never peg them as a millionaire unless you looked at their portfolio. And I think that's a really powerful thing that stuck with me. If you met me on the street, I'm not dressed. I still shop at Target. like I really do. I still shop at Target for my clothes. And there was a phase where I shopped at Nordstrom when I was like early on making a ton of money and I wanted to look fly. And then I realized that the importance of that, it didn't earn me more money. It didn't make any me any more significant. I'm not saying you need to switch it up and go shop at target for your clothes. Now I'm just giving an example that I don't spend money reflective of how much I make. And I see that happen in a lot of income earners that are in the, you know, million dollar asset class. So you call them millionaire real estate agents? I, I meet them all the time where I can tell that they do well but I can tell they have a lot of cash reserves too. Now I'm better at at identifying that than others, but they don't spend like the amount of money that they make, if that makes sense. They definitely have that big gap and they're super savvy with their money.
1: That definitely makes sense. I want to talk about some advice to an agent who's in that success stage and maybe doesn't have down the tracking of business expenses and doesn't quite have it all separated out, but wants to get really good at this and wants to move on and wants to earn more and be more aware of where their money is being spent. So what what would be a good first step to an agent who says, you know, I'm I'm doing okay, I'm doing really well, but I can't really answer the question of how much I spent on marketing in 2020? What, what can they do to get started? Because that sounds really daunting to say, I'm going to go back and track all of my expenses for 2020. Most of us are going to say, uh, no, on to 2021. But what could they do to get started so that they're not as scared off about that?
3: Sure. Uh, three things. One of them involves me. So I'll save that for last. Um, but the first two are as, as much as you want to stop filing for extensions on your taxes. Because, first of all, filing an extension on your taxes is not giving you extra days to pay, okay? It's just giving you extra days to file. You are still expected to pay by April 15th, all right? But more importantly, when you file an extension on your taxes, you're basically putting off understanding what happened the year before. Okay, think about that. The longer you put off what happened the year before, the longer it's going to be, for you to project what is supposed to happen this year. I love that our clients are anxious to file their taxes in January. First off, because they actually don't have till April 15th. Most of our clients are incorporated. And the business filing for deadline for taxes is March 15th. Some of you just like crapped your pants and you didn't realize that, but it is. (laughs) It's March 15th. So I love that our clients are excited to file in January because they want to know, what did it. What did I do last year? I want to know what I did so I can project forward what's going to happen this year. So tip number one, don't file for an extension. As tempting as it may be, don't do it because you need to face the fear, if it is a fear, of what happened last year. The second thing, and this is maybe geared towards newer agents because I know that we take on new clients all the time that think their finances are a mess. And the first question we ask them is, do you have a separate banking account for your personal? And do you have a separate banking account for your business? And most of them say yes. So they've at least taken that step. But if you haven't, I can't stress enough the importance of keeping your business separate from your personal, even if you're not incorporated and you say like, Hey, well I'm a sole proprietor still. So it doesn't matter if I mix business or personal. It absolutely matters because it definitely helps your tracking. If, Anytime you're about to spend money for the business, you have a business card. And anytime you're about to spend money for your personal, you have a personal card. That's the first part of it. The second part is the only way money crosses between the personal account and the business account is when you transfer money from business to personal to pay yourself. Then you have a greater depth of understanding of how much you're truly making because all your expenses are coming out first, then you pay yourself. Okay, And then the third thing is just seek help. I don't, I don't need to do a big sales pitch. All we do is we track all that finances. We make sure your 1099 matches exactly what it's supposed to say in a profit and loss statement, and we send out monthly reports so you know how much your business is making on a monthly basis. The only thing I need to say for why our service is important is your time is worth way more than however much I pay my team to do what they do. Right? If you know that your time is worth $150, $200 an hour, why are you spending that time doing $50 an hour work or $25 an hour work, which is what a service like what our company does is worth? It's, it's doing that stuff that you just don't have time to do or it's not worth your time to do.
2: Yeah, Robert, you know, I've talked to a couple of bookkeepers in my lifetime and man, you're no bookkeeper, man. You're like a financial coach, man. You got me all fired up and motivated and, you know, you're spitting a lot of knowledge right now that uh, I hope our audience is enjoying. And I I just want to take a minute for you to kind of talk a little bit more about the type of reporting that your company provides. Uh, Obviously, we're talking about tracking and creating, uh, you know, different expense categories for the agent, both personally and professionally professionally. So can you kind of just share a little bit about what your company does and the types of tracking and the P&L statements for business investments? I mean, all of that stuff, right? Can you kind of tell us what you do there?
3: Absolutely. So if someone asked us in one word, what we do, unfortunately, we have to use the word bookkeeper. And you're right, Anthony. I'm not a bookkeeper. I don't consider myself a bookkeeper. Do we do what bookkeepers do? In a sense, yes. But we started our company with the intention of niching down. So um, when we started this business, we had the intention of niching down, which is a book by my friend Christopher Lockhead. If you haven't read it, take a minute to read it. It's not a long book. But we are a bookkeeping firm, in air quotes, that only works with entrepreneurs and people in the real estate space, both on the agent side and the investor side. The reason why is if you went to a standard bookkeeping firm, their main objective is to track your finances for the sole purpose of making filing taxes easier, which means that if you have an expense, like a photographer, like a stager, like paying for advertisements, um, like paying your Zillow listings, like paying your real estate dues, those are all considered marketing. And so if you got a PL from a standard bookkeeper it would say marketing, and it would have an amount. And you'd say, okay, cool, I spent that much on marketing. And that's great for the accountant or the CPA because they just take that number and they put it on the IRS tax form. However, with us, our mission is that when we send you a and l you actually have an understanding and an in-depth look at what your business actually spent money on. So we may have a big general category of marketing with a number next to it, but you can see the drop down and the breakdown of all the different line items that went into marketing for the month, for the quarter, for the year. So you know how much you spent on a photographer, you know how much you spent on Zillow ads, Yelp ads, magazine ads, bench ads, you have all those different breakdowns so that at the end of the month, at the end of every quarter, you can evaluate, is that advertisement worth it? Am I paying too much for this marketing? And you start to get an introspection into being a savvy business owner rather than just throwing money everywhere And not understanding how it's coming back to you. So our mission with our company is that we provide a great introspection for the business owner, but also make filing taxes easier for the accountant. So we're kind of like the in-between or the liaison between those two vehicles, which is your business and getting taxes filed. And I hope that makes sense. That's the main thing that separates us from your run-of-the-mill bookkeeper.
2: Yeah, I love the gritty detail, as we would say there, Robert, with uh, being able to break it all down and look at, you know, marketing expenses as a whole, but then being able to actually see the drill down in the different areas that the marketing dollars are are going. So great stuff. Uh, Really have appreciated this conversation. And I hope our audience has taken some notes. I would love nothing more than our audience to get connected if they need help in this area of their business, Robert. So how can folks get in contact with you? And is there any strategy sessions or anything like that that uh, your company does or that you can do to help coach our agents here at Gold Nation?
3: Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and thanks for having me on again, Anthony and Stephanie and crew and Gold Nation. Um, I We offer a strategy session and it's typically 197 bucks. And essentially what that is, is we connect with you for 30 minutes and we talk about what's going on. And basically if we're a good fit or not, or if I can offer any kind of tips or advice that would better your current financial situation as a business owner. Again, I said normally it's 197 bucks for the first 25 people that book this session. We're going to waive that fee as long as you put Remax in when you book it or Remax or Gold Nation, something that I know that it came from you hearing me via this podcast. Now, how you get that session booked, it's calendly.com. Calendly is C-A-L-E-N-D-L-Y. So calendly.com slash My Books Pro. M-Y Books P-R-O. So My Books Pro. You can visit our website too. It's mybooks.pro. And I think that's the easiest way to get that strategy session. And from there, if we decide we're going to be a great fit working together, then we talk about the next steps and getting started on our program.
2: That's fantastic. And for everyone listening right now, those links are in the show notes. So you can get connected with Robert by going to uh, calendly.com slash MyBooksPro. We'll put those right in the show notes for you. Robert Gonzalez from My Books Pro Man, it's been an honor, a privilege. And uh, this has been an action-packed, uh, content-rich podcast episode here on the Juggernaut Podcast. We appreciate your time today. And uh, Stephanie, any final thoughts for the crew today?
1: My goodness. I have pages of notes here and have really learned a lot today. Really appreciate your time, Robert. And I think that our agents will really learn a lot from this session. So thanks for taking time out to meet with us today.
3: My pleasure. It was an honor, honor being here.
2: All right. Thanks, Robert. Thanks everyone for tuning in. This is the Juggernaut Podcast and we'll see you guys next month. Take care.
0: Thank you for joining us and listening to The Juggernaut Podcast. Our vision is truly to inspire our listeners to become an unstoppable force, not only in business, but also in life. To develop that juggernaut mindset that will embrace conflict, overcome adversity, and influence positive impact in the communities we live, work, and serve. It is time to awaken the juggernaut in us all. We look forward to bringing you another inspiring episode next month on the third Wednesday right here on The Juggernaut Podcast. Until then, take care and continue to be unstoppable.